We know that we've been justified by faith, and now as a result of that, we have peace towards God or with God. I want to begin to examine some of the benefits that come to us as a result of grace and how we can begin to bring into manifestation those benefits. First, I think it's important for us to remember who we are. That's where it starts. Our identity. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace if you are born again. If you are born again. Rather, you are a saint who sometimes commit the acts of sin. Your identity. Now, because if you don't settle your identity, you settle for less. If you don't settle the issue of your identity, you settle for less. It is very obvious that the way God set up his system, the kingdom, you don't approach the throne of grace without confidence. He said, come boldly, Hebrews 4.16. But you see, if you don't know who you are, you can't be bold. You can't be bold. But once you settle the issue of your identity, you gain boldness that everybody else around you may not see, may not understand, may not perceive, but because of what you believe, it directs your behavior. So identity, number one. Number two, number two, as a result of knowing your identity, what God has done for you and I by grace, then you need to be aware of your inheritance. Your inheritance. Now, normally an inheritance comes after uh, the benefactor has died. You gain inheritance because somebody left you something and they have died and passed away and they, give, they left something for you. Okay? In our case, Jesus came. He died for our sins. And he has now risen from the dead to enforce that the inheritance he left is duly given and made accessible to everyone who believes. Inheritance. Now, let me just go to Psalms 103. Let's take a quick glance at some of the inheritance that we have. There are many more than what I'm about to read, but I need to start somewhere. Psalms 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The inheritance. The benefits. Your benefits of grace. Number one, who forgives all your iniquities. Number two, who heals all your diseases. Number three, who redeems your life from destruction. Number four, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Number five, who satisfies your mouth with good things. And lastly, for the purpose of this message, so that your youth 
is renewed like the eagles. There are many more, but that's enough. If you and I just understand and receive and access the few that I just read, your life will be totally different by tomorrow. Absolutely. There are benefits to being in the kingdom of God. Now, months ago now, we talked about the essentials of the kingdom. Let, let me just remind you because, number one, I said to you, you need to understand the language of the kingdom. And I said to you that the language of the kingdom of God is Sonish, Jesus. S O N I S H. Sonish, Jesus. By that I meant Jesus Christ has become the only way of understanding scriptures. He has become the only way of understanding scriptures. Please pay attention. Whether from Genesis, through Judges, through Malachi, it does not matter any scripture you open. If you know the living word, you can understand the written word. The written word can only be understood properly in the context of the living word. Now I begin to see, now, now, more recently now, I begin to see the wisdom when people get born again anew or afresh while we give them the gospel. The book of John. Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I begin to see the wisdom in that now. You see, because once you know the living word, now when they read Exodus, they understand that the lamb that they saw in Exodus was actually the living word. Once you know the living word, you read Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth, you understand immediately in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. You immediately identify what you read in Genesis with the word Jesus. There is no getting around that. So the language of the kingdom is sonish. Jesus. Hebrews 1.1. God said in various times, at sundry times, he spoke to the fathers and the prophets, but that now, now, he speaks by his son. That's important foundation. The language of the kingdom is sonish Jesus. Secondly, we said that in this kingdom, there's a culture that should pervade it, that should permeate it, that should infiltrate it, that should be prevailing. And that culture is love. You guys remember that? And we talk at length about love. That is the culture of the kingdom of God. Today, I want to start addressing the operating system. The system that makes the kingdom work. The system by which you and I can begin to bring into the realm of reality all of the benefits of the grace of God. Are you following me so far? Okay. In Romans chapter 2. Oh no, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 5. In verse 2. The Bible says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So the system in the kingdom of God can only be accessed by what? Faith. 
Faith. Now, that's a very simplistic way to say it, but as we begin to unpack it this morning, you will have a better understanding. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the spoken word that just came forth. Because these kids, they don't know what the message is going to be, but they, they pray, they believe God, and God gives them an inspiration, and they come forward and present the thing, and we all get blessed, we clap. But you, I'm sitting down there, and say, my goodness. How did God do this? Because it's as if she took my notes and spoke it. That's the truth. So in the kingdom of God, we access everything God has for us by faith. Now, saying it like that makes it very simplistic. And we're going to get into it this morning. We're going to try to at least get an understanding. Because I'm telling you, I, am, I don't know how else to say it. I'm eagerly expecting to be seeing the supernatural on a daily occurrence. If this grace is the grace that we know, and if this Jesus truly is alive as we know he is, then surely we should be having lifetime encounters on a daily basis. Not just something every now and then, every month, every year. No, 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 no. Every single day, you wake up, you say, today is another day of encounter. But there are some very simple things that God wants us to understand in, in being able to be able to operate like that. And so we know in this kingdom, in the grace of God, there are benefits. And one of the ones I really want to talk about this morning has to do with the area that affects us the most. What do you guess that is? Thank you, Professor. Money! Money! I may not need healing every day. I may not need protection every day, although we need protection, but what I'm saying is you don't feel like you're in danger every day. I may not feel like I need favor every day, every moment. But when you leave here this morning, you need gas to get home. And you cannot go to quick trip and lay hands on the pump. Well, you can. You can lay hands on the pump. The pump will just look at you. It's amazing that Jesus spoke more about money than anything else in the entire scriptures. More than faith, more than heaven, more than salvation. It's amazing. And until recently, I did not understand why. Go search the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Go and see all the parables and all the stories he told and all the things he said regarding money. But as we begin to address the issue of these benefits of the kingdom and the operating system of God, we begin to see the wisdom of God in dealing with this issue. First thing I want us to know this morning, number one, number one thing I want us to know, God is my source. I'm talking to you. God is our source. Dr. Nofiak referenced this in prayer about two, three weeks ago. Talking about how God is the source and we are just the resources. The first thing we need to know about anything that has to do with the benefits of the kingdom 
And in particular money, God is the source. End of story, period. James 1.17. Every good gift. Is money a good gift? Come on, guys. Is money a good gift? (laughs) Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where? From PNC Bank? From Wells Fargo? From Wall Street? From your job? Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness neither the shadow of turning. You need to settle that. You need to settle that this morning that every good gift and every perfect gift, including money, comes from above. Paul was speaking to the Athenians in Acts 17. He said, in him we move and live and have our being. Now, I'm throwing that out there because there are some of us that will argue and debate. I went to school, I was trained, I have a skill, I have a job, and therefore my 40 hours a week provides for me. I'm so smart, I'm so good at what I do, and therefore I have money. Please, may I remind you? In him you live. In in him you move. And in him you have your bed. If you remove Jesus from your life, you are nothing. With all your certificates, with all your qualifications, with the job you have, your business, whatever it is that you have, immediately you subtract God or Jesus, you are down to zero. Yes. Zero. Life minus Jesus equals zero. Zero. It doesn't matter how much you own, what you have acquired, how much property you have. Without God, you become what? Zero. Now, let me read one more scripture. First Chronicles. First Chronicles. I think we will make progress today. And if we understand this, when we come here on Sundays, we'll be coming to give testimonies. If we, are, if we are properly established in what God is teaching us in this next couple of weeks, I truly believe we're going to come here and just share testimonies of what God has done. First Chronicles 29. First Chronicles 29, beginning from verse 11. Just, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is what? Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Now look at verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, 
and of your own we have given you. So every time I give God an offering, what am I doing? I'm only giving him what belonged to him. You know how you used to teach your kids when they were younger, you give them money to go buy you tie for Father's Day? Or buy your rose for Mother's Day? And they come and give you the tie or the rose that you paid for? And you commend them for a job well done because you are teaching them something called stewardship and you say, son, you've done very well. You've, yes. That's wonderful. Yes. They've only given to you what? What belonged to you to begin with? Yes. God is the source of everything. Yes. Let's settle that. He's the source. Now, not only that, as we progress in this message, you need to also understand something. For many of us, this may be like rocket science. God, coach, I know you watch all the books. God does not need your money. Ah, you didn't answer me, sir. It's hard for a coach to believe that. What did I say? God does not need our money. How is he going to need something that belongs to him? Habakkuk. No, not Habakkuk. Haggai 2.8. The silver and the gold, they are mine. Greg, including the one you have at West Fargo, yes. it belongs to God. Yes. The silver and the gold, they are mine, he says. Yes. Psalms 50. He said, the cattle on a thousand hills, they belong to him. Yes. He told Israel, your offerings... No, I'm not concerned about them. Your sacrifices? No, 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 no. They don't move me. Why? Because every beast of the forest belongs to him. And every bird that flies, they are his. Then he goes on to say, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. God is saying that to help us understand something. Listen, he does not need a thing from us. I want you to understand that today. Not only that, if you don't tithe, you are not under a curse. Yes, I said it. (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let me say that again. For emphasis sake. I said, if you did not tithe, you are not under a curse. Why? Because all of this is important. There must be integrity in the message. We cannot pick and choose what suits us or what we like and what we don't like. This is grace pure. Pure grace. Okay? God is not looking to bless me because I gave. Old Testament thinking. I gave so I can get. Which means your performance determines what you get. That is the law. Absolute law. That is the law. You can't. Who do you think God is? Is this Las Vegas? The Bible is so clear. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. That we've been blessed already. In the 
heavenly places with all spiritual blessings. In Christ Jesus, you have been blessed already. No man can curse you. You're already blessed. Whether you give or not, you are blessed. Your blessing is not contingent on what you give. Although, once you understand this message that I'm about to preach this morning, you, you, you understand why God spoke more about money than anything else. But let's settle that once and for all. Don't put anybody under the curse because the Bible is so clear in Galatians chapter 3 that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law was all about performance and effort and what I can do. I do to get. I do, do, do. No. Under grace, it's done, done, done. It's already done. Yes. Ah. Let me throw one out there. My obedience does not bring me reward. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. My obedience is not what brings the blessing. I know coach is already lamenting. His head is about to pop. I come to the office, he sit me down. Pastor, okay, you said this. I won't tell you what he said before Friday. I'll leave him alone. Because if the blessing of God is contingent on my obedience, that's my works. It goes back to works. So I've obeyed God so I can get. Now, should I obey God? Yes. But when I obey God, I'm not obeying him so I can get something. I'm obeying him because I'm already established. Different motivation because of who I am, because of what he has done in my life. I'm obeying him not because of an obligation or a duty. I'm obeying him. It's a privilege. I get to obey God. Why? I'm a child of God. I'm not trying to obey him to impress him. That's the law. Where do we start? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. I won't read it. I won't open it. But let's, you, you know the story sufficient enough. We can paraphrase it. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham to leave his home, his country, his family, and his kindred to a place that will show him. If you read in the book of Acts, you realize that Abraham did not completely obey God. He did not. He took Lot with him. He took his father Terah with him. And he did not go to where God said. He got midway point and packed. And yet God said. He is the father of our faith. Delayed obedience. Partial obedience. Equals what? Disobedience. Yet, in that same Genesis 12, this man to whom God pronounced the blessings, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless him that bless you. I will curse him that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We are told that he went to Egypt and he lied. 
And when you read that Genesis chapter 12, chapter 12 yes, after God rescued him in that situation, the, let's go there. Genesis chapter 12. Hmm. Um, Genesis chapter 12. Verse 14. Ah, verse 13, verse 13. Please say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake that I may live because of you. So it was when Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. Are you seeing this? He had sheep, oxen, Male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh's, Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, it's interesting to me that this man, first of all, who had delayed obedience, partial obedience, and who did not speak, was not full disclosure in the truth, God caused the man to bless him. Did you see that? He had sheep, oxen. Male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Chapter 13, verse 2. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, in gold. Would you like that for, to be you? So, Pastor, are you saying disobeying God brings this reward? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's something more than obedience in this passage. There's something more that God has done for you and I that we need to reckon and understand. Abraham did not come to full obedience. He was growing in his obedience. But one thing he came to. He came to believe the blessing. He came to believe the blessing. And even though he wavered, and God came and told us that he did not stagger in his faith. Can you believe that? Before we can accuse him before God, God defended him. He said, Abraham did not stagger in his faith. But he called those things that be not as though they were. So what I'm saying to you, to, to, what I'm saying to all of us this morning is, because of who we are, because of what God has already done, we need to understand the inheritance that's, that, that God has for us and believe that inheritance and believe that those promises and inheritance is ours. Amen. Amen. Abraham may not have understood anything else, but he believed in those pronouncements. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll make you great. He may not have believed on anything else, but he took those promises and said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I may fail along the way. I may miss it along the way, but those promises, I'm holding on to it. I'm believing you for it. I'm trusting you because I know that you are able to bring to pass anything you speak. 
And in time, he grew to where he can obey God fully. But along the way, the blessings of God kept him. And I'm saying to you and I this morning, just as God pronounced blessings on Abraham, he has pronounced blessings on us. He has told us that we are blessed. But the question is, are we able to believe it? Are we able to believe it? Because you may falter along the way, you may fail along the way, but if you believe in those promises and you hold on to them, they have a way of not only rescuing you, but they show up. Now, we already established that God is the source. I think that's sufficient. Now let's go now to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. The gospel according to St. Luke. Chapter 16. In verse 1, Jesus is telling a parable here. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So number one, we know that God is our source. The second thing that we must recognize in order to bring this grace into manifestation in our lives is recognizing that you and I are stewards. We are stewards. First Corinthians chapter 4, Paul spoke, I believe in verse 2, that it is accounted for a steward to be found faithful. So God owns everything, including your CDs, your 401ks, your cars, your houses, your clothes, everything you own, God owns them. Now, he wants you to understand how you can get more. So he's saying to you, number one, or number two, recognize you are a steward. Who's a steward? A manager of other people's accounts. A manager, a steward is simply a manager of other people's estate. You know what's so funny? If we were to do an experiment in the service, even right now, and I told you to give your neighbor's offering, just, 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 uh, just, just give out of your neighbor's purse. You know what's going to happen? We're going to give you a lot more than you have given for yourself. You didn't get it. If you had the ability to dip your hand into your neighbor's pocket and give an offering, all of a sudden we get a lot more generous. Because we are giving somebody else's money away. It's easy. It's easy to spend somebody else's dime. Okay? You have children. You have children. Take your kids to the store. To a sneaker store. Where they have all this sneaker. Mike, I, Jordan, whatever they're wearing these days. And tell them which one do they like. They have $15 sneakers. $20 sneakers. $75 sneakers, $150 sneakers, $200 sneakers. Ask your son, which one does he like? With that exception, the joker is going to hang up. Give me the $200 one. It doesn't work. It doesn't pay any bills. 
But he has a good taste, Daniel. Is that correct? <laughs> For the high-end, upscale items. Now, if we give the same child an allowance, five dollars a week. At the end of the year, he said, "Now let's go to the store. Go buy you something you want." They will be so hard pressed to spend twenty dollars. All of a sudden, they get a revelation of how to be what good sports because it involves them. So God is saying to me and you, we are stewards of his resources. And there's only two reasons for which God encourages us to give. Two reasons. Two reasons. I've said it, but I will not mention them now. I saved that till the last part of the message. Two reasons. So now, let's, let's, let's read on in this passage a little bit. In Luke chapter 16. Let's look at what Jesus said. Uh, mm. Okay, verse 2. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Now look at how this guy is spending some of his money. <laughs> then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commanded the unjust word because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of the light. And I said to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, this is the key. Verse 10. This is the key. Verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is uh, he who is, yeah, is unjust also in much. This is the key here. Please remember this. The context of a passage will always give the most accurate application. The context, the story that's been told around the passage will always give you the most accurate application in your daily life. Where it came to the issue of money, good stewardship, Jesus said, if you are faithful in that which is what? Least. What is he saying? In all, the, all of the graces of the kingdom of God, healing, Blind eyes opening, raising the dead, uh, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, protection, favor, 
eternal security. Of all the benefits you will ever enjoy in the kingdom, the least of them is money. Oh my goodness. The holy hush. What you think is so huge and big, what you are striving, 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 80 hours sometimes, what you and I fight over and God jealously, carefully. Jesus said, this is the least in the kingdom of God. And if you don't understand how to manage what is least, the issue of raising the dead, healing cancer, blind eyes opening, and all the other things, the supernatural workers, if you cannot understand money, you will pray to your eyes and lips are blue. And nothing will happen. Huge. I don't know if you guys are hearing it. I don't know if you are hearing it. In Mark 10, let me read one more passage and then we're going to break it down. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Where's the revelation? Come and sit out here in the front. Mark chapter 10. I'll tell you why I said that in a minute. Verse 17. Actually, I prefer her to be right here. Right here. Right there. So, I, so I'm seeing you. Right there. In the center. 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 Right there. Thank you. Mark 10 verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Wonderful. Next to her. Ah! I want to spend Charles O'Chase's dollar. Give him a dollar. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, oh. oh my goodness. Oh boy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Notice the question this guy asked Jesus. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher! Abba, teacher. What do you know who you're talking to? You, Teacher, all these things have come from my youth. You are giving me these rudiments of the, of the law. I've done all of this. I'm, I'm a master in these things. Really? Okay. Then Jesus looking at him, notice the next thing, loved him. There was a look, there was something in that look penetrating that person with love. 
It was not about to just lay a big truth on him. He loved him. Ah! Revelation, if you know what you are asking. I won't just give you the answer. I'm going to love you with the answer. Love him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come. Take the cross and follow me. Remember what we said earlier? Who owns everything? God. God. Who am I and you? Stewards. So God said, because I own everything, what you think you have, you want to know about eternal life? You want to know about dwelling with me forever? Let's start from the first rung on the ladder. Don't try to climb the ladder from the top down. Start from step number one. You really want to know about heaven? Let's start with where you are. Sell all your goods. Give to the poor. Follow me. Hey! 401k. Ha! CDs. Treasury bills. Bonds. Stocks. Mutual funds. Lexus 450 in the garage. Three garage. Six bedroom with seven and a half baths. All my clothes come from Nemo Marcos and Saks Fifth Avenue. Givenchy, Salvatore Ferragamo, and all. Are you kidding me? Sell it all. And then follow me. You see, if he had said to sell it all, and did not ask the guy to follow, that would be a problem. Say, follow me. Because you see, I'm the source. <laughs> if I can just divest you for a moment and then you follow me, there's nothing you give up that you will not have more. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. Did you hear that? The possessions had him. He didn't have the possessions. Now, in verse 23, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Let me just take a little pause there. To enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God. You are thinking heaven, you are thinking, no, no, no. What is the kingdom of God? Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So if possessions have me, I can't appreciate my righteousness. And if I don't appreciate my righteousness, I don't have peace. And if I don't have peace, I cannot walk in joy. No. You are righteous positionally because Jesus gave it to you, but you can't manifest it. Because you are entangled in riches. 
And because of your entanglement, you have no peace. You constantly checking how much is the balance. What happened yesterday? Putin is attacking Ukraine. Hey! 401k is gone. All is dropping. Every moment of the day, you are looking at the balances. The balances, balances. Nobody went to the bank, but you are looking at balances. Possessions have you by the throat. So you cannot enjoy your righteousness. You have no peace. And consequently, you have lost your joy. Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's within you. So this passage is not talking about you going to heaven. It goes more. Verse 24. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Because they were all in business, they are businessmen. Peter, John, and James, they only on fishing business. Say, hey, if rich man can go to heaven, I'm in trouble. <laughs> they, were, they were astonished. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those. Only one revelation. Who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? So the issue here for all of us is the issue of trust. How do I get into my realm all the benefits of grace? The reason I have revelation up here, whenever I come to the office, high and coach will ambush me with all these questions. So she asked me a few days back, trust. How do I trust? What about trust? She asked that question for all of us. That's the truth. You see, I said there are two reasons for which God wants us to give. I've already told you you are free. You are not under a curse if you don't tithe or if you don't give. So settle that. Don't shake in your seat. Like, ah, pastor is going to receive an offering. Forget that. No. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I understand now that money is the least thing in the kingdom. And if we get this right, the rest is history. You go into work and open blind eyes will not be a problem. You walk into the store and see a lame and say, rise up and walk, will not be a problem. You go into the hospital and see someone that's sick and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. It won't be a problem at all. This should be happening every day. But the reason it's not happening is because we are blowing it at the least level. How can I trust him for the higher things when I cannot trust him for the least things? Two reasons why God wants us to give. Number one, it is God's means of proving to you revelation that you trust him. You see, you can say you trust God all you want. I trust God, I trust God. I believe God, I believe God. I have faith, I have faith. It's like me going to 
Georgia State. And that professor, I know all the subject. Give me certificate. Yes. I know the stuff. Yeah. Geography, yeah. business administration, yeah. history. I know it, just give me certificate. The man will say, ah, I know you look good. But can you just, can you audit the exams? Just take the test. The test will prove to you how much you know or don't know. Yes. The test is not for the professor. Your giving is not for God. Hear me this morning. When God says for you to give, he understands the connection of life that you and I are so connected with money. We spend 40 hours, 60 hours, our lifetime earning income. He knows how we are connected to that thing. And he says, to this thing that you are so connected to, let it go. Trust me with it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he's not asking because he wants to build a bigger mansion. Yes, no. God is not looking to build a bigger heaven. He's not going to improve the gold in heaven from 14 carat to 18 carat because of a given. No. He said even if he's hungry, he won't ask you. So I'm asking you to give so you can know where you are on the ladder. So you don't embarrass yourself trying to attain a number seven ladder and you have not even climbed number one. Trust. Trust me. How can you trust me to take you to heaven and you cannot trust me to keep you now? How hypocritical. How can you trust me to protect you in danger? But you cannot trust me with what you are carrying in your bank. Huge. That's the reason he spoke more about money than anything else. It is God's tool to prove how much you and I trust him. Does that make sense? I can, I can, I can go through the scriptures and show it to you. When Abraham refused to take the spoils, and took care of his servants and said, for me, I don't need it. Is it because he had no need? And in the very next chapter, God said, I will not, not only should you not fear, but I will be your exceeding and great reward. Why? You've trusted me with what you have carried. Now I'll, I'll pour upon you what you cannot even carry. Ah, Jesus was having supper. In Zacchaeus' house, a sinner, a publican, a tax collector, an IRS official. <laughs> without any seminar, without any teaching, the man said, Jesus, if I've defrauded anybody, anyone at all, and you know the guy had to defraud, ah, tax collector, <laughs> should I tell you about tax collector? He said, I'm going to give it all back. Without asking Jesus about heaven or eternal life, Jesus said, this day, because you understand the list, the list money, you understand money, this day, salvation has come into your house. Amen. And uh, apostles and teachers, they're still arguing. Right, when he did repent, when he did confess his sin, no, no, no. The man understood the least things in the kingdom 
And once you understood that, heaven was already guaranteed. The widow at the treasury, the Bible said it gave a mite, tiny, not much. But the issue with God, Pastor Charles, is not how much you gave, but how much you have left after you've given. If I'm a millionaire and I give you a hundred thousand dollars, in the eyes of man, that is huge. But I still have nine hundred thousand left. But a widow that has two dollars and gave all the two dollars has given more than a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yes, because she's totally, completely surrendered and trusted to God. Everything else from that moment forward. Money, money, money is the measuring tool. God wants to use it to help me understand how close I am to God or how far away I am. Because it's, it's a tool that we spend every day. Every day. We handle money one way or the other. If you can't trust him with unrighteous mama. How in the world do you think you are going to trust him when it comes to the true riches? If I'm not faithful in that which is little or least, how can I be faithful in much? Second reason why we give, second reason why we give, is to make sure that the gospel goes out. It's to make sure that the gospel goes out. That others are able to hear what you and I are hearing. That's it. That's it. So, to whose benefit is given now? Is it to God? Will God cease to exist when you and I don't give? Will his throne be diminished because I did not give? No. It just means that I'm not ready to access all the other things in the kingdom. And I submit to you, this is the reason we're not seeing all the signs and wonders. I'll show it to you in a minute. Because I don't want it to just be something I'll throw out there. I want to show it to you in the word of God. It's there by implication. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me start bringing this to a close. Are you catching anything in Revelation? How about you, Selvin? Me too. Okay. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. If I had time, and if you have time, really, you need to read the entire chapter 8 and chapter 9. Honestly. Honestly. Because Paul was talking about Macedonian church, how poor they were, how afflicted they were, and yet in that affliction and poverty, they gave. They gave. And then he used that to challenge the church at Corinthian. That the grace that's on the Macedonians, you guys should not lag behind in it either. That you guys should believe God for that same grace. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. 
But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let me make sure I make this clear. Because I said to you, you don't give to get. That is true, it's valid. And when you don't give or you don't tithe, you are not under the Old Testament law of being under a curse. That is true. That is true. Now, when the Bible now says, you so sparingly, reap sparingly. And you so bountifully, respond. What does that mean? It's just saying to you and I, to the degree that I trust God, and willingly, out of my own heart, because of who I am, I understand the privilege to be a blessing to the kingdom of God, in that same measure, you access what God already has for you. Let me put it to you this way. You go to Walmart or Kroger or Publix. It is not when you open the door that they put the goods on the shelf. Did you ever notice that? They didn't see you coming. Ah, Charles is coming. Please. Flicks. This. No! When you say it in your heart at home, I want to do Publix, that's believing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hear this. When you get out of your house and get in your car and you say, I'm going to the store, you believed. You believed that that store has something of benefit. Otherwise, you won't go there. The reason you go to Publix and not 7-Eleven is because you believe Publix has the goods. But when you enter Publix, all the products on the shelf are a provision of faith. Faith has delivered the goods. They are on the shelf. But if you didn't believe, you can access it. You can go there. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes. Now, Jesus said in Luke 16 and Mark chapter 10 that if we be unfaithful in the least, it's equivalent to trusting in mammon or trusting in possession. What he's trying to teach us is that you and I must get to the place of trusting him. Trusting him with our income, our money, our finances, our welfare, trusting him. So the issue is What's the distinction between believing, faith, and trust? Because this operating system in the kingdom of God is by faith. You access it by faith. So I left my house, I believed. I entered the store, provision on the shelves, faith. It's already there. Your blessings, everything you did now is already made, waiting. It's already waiting. God is not going to create it when your need arises. They were already made before you ever had a need. Abraham found that out at Mount Moriah. The ram was already caught in the bush before he got there. It was just a matter of time to manifest it. So what I'm saying to you is everything you and I need, all the money you can ever spend in 10 lifetimes are already on the shelf. Now, this is where trust comes in. You now get there, only one revelation. There are 19 boxes of conflicts. Kellogg's, 
nature's whatever. All of them are there. You now have to make a choice. Faith has provided. Everything is on the shelf. But you are going to leave that store with one or two of those items. Faith is a noun. I know that it exists. I am aware that this thing is there. Trust is a verb. Action. So trust is my faith in action. It's not good enough to say I believe God. I've gone to the store. I've looked at the provision. Now you must take an action. Now you must take a decision. Now there's a choice to make. Yes, I believe I'm here. Now by faith I'm seeing at all these provisions. Now I must convert my faith into action by trusting and get one. Do you understand what I just said? All those things work together. Believing, having faith, and trust. But I'm going to tell you, of the three, of the three, the real deal is trusting God. James tells us that demons believe. They tremble. They tremble. They believe, but they tremble. By faith, we access grace. But it's not good enough for me to just know that it's there. The proof in the pudding is to move beyond that realm and make a committed action. I'm going to trust you. Go and ask Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. By faith, they told the king, we won't obey you. But when his sentence was passed, how many of you know that we can evolve in our decision? <laughs> Go and ask Barack Obama. You can evolve. I had faith yesterday, but today I changed my mind. But trust and commitment in the face of opposition and trials and tribulation. You say, if God, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to take his time. Yes. That's trust. And that's what God wants me and you to do. Amen. Reckless abandonment. Yes, God, I trust you. Yes, trust in the Lord will all of them had. Proverbs chapter 3. And lean not to your own understanding. Your understanding will rob you. It will tell you if you do it, you are finished. The widow, she only had a measure of flour left. Elijah said, go bake me a cake. Say, ah, prophet, if I do so, I'm finished. The man of God said, fear not. Fear not. Don't let fear rob you of your commitment. Don't let fear rob you of the action you need to take that will open heaven and bring resources to you. One last verse of scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 9. We say it all the time. In verse 8, look at what it says. And God is able to make what? All. Some grace abound towards you that you always have what? All sufficiency. In some things, and may have an abundance for every good work. Again, the context defines the application. 
That context of that scripture is in the area of giving. He just told you one or two verses above, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Now it tells you because you honor God and trust him, all grace will be made abounding to you. Always, not just sometimes. And you have all sufficiency in all or in every good work. Do you want to get to that place in your life where any need that arises, you know that God has so blessed you, you are able to stand and meet the need. That's where I want to go. That's where I want you to go. That's what I think God has for all of us. For us to get to that place where we are able to trust him in the least things. And God says when you do that, this is one least area that opens the door for all the bigger areas. Wow. You just saw it. Second Corinthians 9. It makes all grace abound for all things. So you have all sufficiency. Can you imagine that? In everything. We are the ones that limit how much we can take off the shelf. The shelf is loaded. It's loaded with goods. Gifts of healing. Gifts of faith. Gifts of miracle. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation, signs, wonders. Ah, please pardon me. Acts chapter 4. I promise you, this is the last. No, seriously. Because now it's going to make sense to you. When the Bible says money answered all things, now I understand it. Money answered all things. Not as in going to use money to buy everything you need, but as in if you understand money and you deal with money, everything else is answered. Money answered all things. You conquer that area of your life, everything else is easy. Now, look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. What happened? As a result of them getting free in the area of possessions, look at the next verse. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What released the grace? They were released from the bondage of money. When they got to the point where money no longer held them, heaven above them opened and with great power they gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Not just the elite. Oh, you didn't hear this. The grace was not just upon the apostles or the pastors or the teachers. Upon them all. All of us can go out and walk the, walk the works of Christ. Every last one of us. Now there was nor was there any among them who, had, who lacked. For all who are possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Are you seeing this? This was the birth of the church. 
and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Nobody had to tell them. They got to the place where they understood the relationship with money and the kingdom. And when they did that, heaven opened. I pray that heaven will open upon us. Amen. I pray that we will begin to see things of which we can never imagine. Because God delivers us all and we get to the realm, to the place where we are able to trust him unconditionally in Jesus' name. Amen. Because in chapter 5, the first in the New Testament church was over money. I just told you, this is the key. They just demonstrated unity about money in Acts chapter 4. The last verse, we saw that the man sold the land and brought it. The next chapter, Ananias and Sapphira came and lied, pretending to have been delivered from Mammon. And Mammon still had them. But they like the testimony of everybody else. Ah, you sold land, you brought it. Ah, you sold your car, you brought it by goodness. You sold your helicopter, you brought it. Ah, ah, Lola, you sold your yacht, you brought it to the kingdom. Well, I still love my stuff, but I'll come and pretend like I gave. Uh-huh. God said never. They got on a curse. Why? Because you see, they are time, they are given to reward. It would have been fine. If they didn't give and just say, you know what, we are not there. We couldn't do it. Grace would have been released to help them. But they wanted to enjoy the accolades. We are announcing the great givers in the church. Ah, get Toto, a million dollars. Clap for him. So now they, they pretend like a snake. Didn't give a nickel. Want to get the same credit. God, we thank you that in this area, like the Macedonian church, no matter the trials or the afflictions that we are going through, we are going to keep our eyes on you. Knowing that you are the source of every good and perfect thing. That the glory, the majesty, the honor, the blessings, they all belong to you. And so, Lord, we receive that grace to be good stewards, to be found faithful in that which is least, so that we can really be equipped to be a blessing to our generation. Where the supernatural encounters are not not just things that happen every now and then, but we will really, truly, be free to be a blessing. You said, these signs shall follow them that believe. That's what you said. Them that trust you. You said, these signs shall follow them. Not striving for it. Not begging for it. With confidence. You said that these signs shall follow. Father, we believe. We trust. We adhere. We rely on you. We receive that grace not just to uh, believe in our heart. Not just to have the faith to know that the provision is made because we know you've made it. But to put our faith in action. 
Lord, we receive that grace. We thank you for that grace. That we will pass the money test. Father, in the name of Jesus, so you can entrust to us and commit to us the true riches. Thank you, Father God. We know that in our redemption, you not only forgave our sins, you healed our diseases. You redeem our soul from destruction. You crown us with your tender loving kindness. Lord, you gave us good things. And you said that you renew our youth as the eagles. And so, Lord, for that category, all of these categories, Lord, I pray, if there's anybody here right now who needs the assurance of their forgiveness, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that they receive it. Sickness in their body, my Lord God, the same blood that saved us is the same blood that heals us. We release in Jesus' name your virtue to touch every man and every woman wherever they are, whatever the conditions are, we command those conditions to be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you that you satisfy our mouth with good things. My Lord and my God, in Jesus' name, we will enjoy the goodness of the Lord our God because there's surely goodness and mercy. They follow us all the days of our life. Renew our youth as the eagles. Thank you, Father God. As we wait upon you, our strength is renewed. We thank you, Lord, that we're going to carry your message. We're going to noise you abroad, at work, at home, in a business place, wherever we are, we commit to you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, enabling us to noise your fame abroad. You are a great God, a good God. What you can do for us, no other man can do it. And we thank you, we bless you for it. Thank you, Father God, for trusting you. You said, blessed is the man whose trust and hope the Lord is. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.